All right, welcome back. Summit's podcast, episode eight. We are joined by Tatum Parker. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. The average age in the room just came down. Feeling pretty yep. good about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I act like You're a 12 year old, but thank you for <laughs> bringing the chronological age down. We appreciate that. Of course. Um, school's out. School's out. Summertime. Home for the summer. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. are you going to do this summer? I have, t- I'm t- kind of working two jobs. Um, I have an internship um, actually at Riley. I'm okay. working for like an undergraduate research yeah. program. Um, working with some of my old doctors on some things. Nice. Nice. Um, so I'm excited fun. about that. And then I'm nannying two days a week also. So kind of getting okay. the best of both worlds. I'm working for my internship three days a week, nannying two days a week. Family friend or how'd yes, you Yes, my neighbor about? who neighbor. I, okay. they live like three houses down from me. I've nannied for them. They have two boys. Okay. Um, I've nannied for them the past like five summers. And oh, so okay. it's pretty easy at this point. They're old enough. I'm kind of just giving them rides places, keeping them entertained, taking them out. So it's fun. Keeping it's your dad game. away from them. As much as possible. <laughs> my dad away. But one of them is the same age as my youngest brother, and so okay. they hang out all the time. Right. They come over to swim. It's a really, it's a nice gig to have. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sophomore year in the books. Yes. How was, <laughs> I think I know the answer, but I got to ask it anyway. How was sophomore year at you in a pandemic? In a pandemic. Um, not awful, but not great. Right. <laughs> um, IU was very strict about a lot of things, obviously, keeping the gathering limit size way down, um, stuff like that. Obviously I had a lot of first semester, all of my classes were remote. I did all of them online. Um, luckily I lived in a house off campus with some of my sorority sisters. So that was really fun. So when you did everything online, you were still in Bloomington. Yeah. I stayed in Bloomington, which was really nice. Um, and we had a house, so we were able to kind of do our own thing. Um, that was very helpful. Second semester, I had at least one class every day that was in person. Um, so that, Made it feel a little bit more normal, but um, right. still wasn't still wasn't great. During the first <laughs> semester, did you see a lot of people leave and just go home? Yeah, okay. a lot of people I mean, actually did. Yeah. I think a lot of freshmen, um, especially in the dorms, I felt so bad for the freshmen. They were not allowed to go to anyone else's dorm. Okay. Um, they were really cooped up in their rooms, and I felt awful for them. And a lot of them didn't have in-person classes, so I think a lot of them just kind of packed up and left. So and they were restricted to their dorm and, like, the cafeteria yeah. kind of thing? Wow. That would... Yeah. So. It's a small room to be stuck in for, and a lot of them, of course, would like go to other people's dorms. But it was a whole like three strikes you're out type of situation. So if they got caught more than once in other people's dorm rooms or doing stuff, um, they would hmm. get in trouble. So yeah, wow. At that point, it wasn't really worth that it. That puts uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of curtails the uh, late night study sessions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I spent a lot of time at the library when I was in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. We still we made the most of it. We did what we could and had fun regardless right. we kept calling it tiny fun because you know we had to keep things small for the most part but yeah how, so yeah how did that work in in the house then you guys I mean, had your room or did the house kind of operate as its own kind of like ecosystem where you guys were all kind of quarantined together at that yeah, point i mean it was nice because it was me and four other girls and so okay. um we as in my roommates i actually never got covid but my roommates got it like the first week we got there, like just oh, right wow. off the bat, we think one of my roommates might have gotten it in Indy and okay. had had it when she got to school because all of us had gotten tested when we got there and all of the people we had seen up to that point had all been tested and everyone had tested negative at that point. So we think she might have gotten it in Indy, but um, we had to quarantine for two weeks, like the, literally the first two weeks we were at school. <laughs> um, but it was nice because after Those that we didn't have weeks. to anymore. Yeah. yeah. And then we just yeah. hung out for two weeks, got to know each other. And then <laughs> after that, we were good. So. Nice. That was, yeah. But 
from like quarantine to really get to know somebody. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In every every aspect. Mm-hmm. True. So July, and as you're well aware, is sarcoma and bone cancer awareness month. Yes, it is. Um, that's when this this is going to go out and hit the airwaves and the uh, the YouTube, as we like to call it. Uh, <laughs> YouTube. So, uh, Tatum Parker, tell us what is your cancer story. Yes. Um, well, my cancer story dates back to July 2006, um, just a couple weeks before my sixth birthday. Um, I woke up. I had been complaining of knee pain for a while. Um, just on and off, but we didn't really think much of it. And there was one morning when I woke up and I couldn't walk and I was freaking out, of course, as a six-year-old little girl, I was very spooked as to what was going on. Um, and we immediately went to the emergency room, which was not very far from our house, luckily. Um, I remember crying in the emergency. I don't remember much, but I remember crying in the emergency room, being asked what my pain level was and pointing to like an eight because <laughs> yep. I was like, ah, I, I don't want to point to 10, but it really hurts. I can't walk. Um, and I think they like put me under at that point. I, they did all the, all the scans, all the things they could do. Um, was it pain from putting pressure on it or you couldn't bend at the knee or it was, I think it was mostly pressure okay. from what I remember. Um, just like not being able to stand on it. I remember waking up. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night randomly in the months before or the weeks before. Um, I would wake up randomly just with pain, like it would just like wake me in my sleep and I would like limp into my parents' room and be like, my leg hurts. And then they'd yeah. let me sleep with them. And they'd be like, she's fine. And then I'll wake up in the morning and it would be gone for the most part. Um, but this time I woke up, I think in the morning, early morning with like a lot of pain mm-hmm. and I like tried to stand up and wasn't, wasn't going, happening. wasn't going very well for yeah. me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the doctor came in and basically was like, it's cancer, we think. There's a huge mass, um, and it was in my femur. And so the, obviously the tumor in my femur was pulling on muscles that were affecting my knee. Um, so within a couple days, I was at Riley, and I was they did a biopsy to figure out what kind of cancer it was, and it was yeah. Ewing sarcoma, um, which is a pretty rare form of cancer, and it's most common in teenage boys. So that was quite interesting because I was a six-year-old girl (laughs) at the time. Um, But yeah, immediately right into chemo. I think I had about 13 rounds of chemo my first time, and over the course of a year, um, I would go in for two days, which was one night, and they would give me one type of chemo that I remember would make me puke every time I got it. And then they would, I would have like two weeks off, and then I'd go back in for four days or four nights, Um, And that chemo didn't make me feel too horrible. Um, But that was the cycle that I went on for about a year. Um, Did they do surgery before chemo started or they want to do chemo? And then I don't, I think it was after a certain amount of rounds of chemo, they did surgery and they removed six inches of my femur, um, replaced it with a metal rod and, or metal plate. And that's actually, this is one of the reasons we had, thought that it might have come back a second time um, because it did (laughs) later. Spoilers. Spoiler alert, it uh, (laughs) comes back. But um, I got six inches of my femur removed, and for some reason, we still don't know why, um, but right after, my plate broke in half. And it was like after I had gotten, I had recovered enough where I was walking again, and I just remember I scootered. There was a Marsh grocery store near my house, um, and I scootered to the grocery store on a razor scooter with my dad. And I remember coming home and being again, unable to walk. And I was like, it hurts to put pressure on it. I can't walk. And, um, so we went 
back to the hospital the next day and they did an x-ray and my plate was literally snapped right down the middle, just wow. right in half. That's crazy because those things are made of yeah. titanium, yeah. I think. Yeah. They, they don't, you just can't they don't, snap one. They don't break. And that's what my doctor was like, I've never, we've never seen this before. Uh, um, she's really fast on her scooter. I'm really fast well, on my scooter. Or yeah. she was leg pressing like 1,200 pounds <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. I was trying to bulk up after <laughs> yeah. laying in bed for so long. I needed to get back up. Um, but yeah, so I had to have that surgery redone. So they took that plate out, obviously, placed it with another one. Um, and they didn't do my last chemo treatment because they okay. were like, with the surgery and everything, they were like, we're just going to be done. Yeah. Be done with chemo. Okay. Um, so they didn't do my last chemo treatment. And then about a year and a half later, um, they would scan i'd go back every three months and they would scan my leg and check on everything and they would also scan my lungs because ewing sarcoma is known for coming back numerous times but when it's in the leg for some reason it tends to come back in the lungs mm, and so they would scan my lungs every time i went and so that was we were very lucky that they did that because it did come back and it came back in my lungs um and they were doing a lung scan and my doctor i remember he called me in we did, I did a CT scan of my lungs and he said, come back here for a second. And I go back into like the scanning room where you can see all the scans up on the wall. And he zoomed in super, super, super close. He was like in, 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 in. He goes, do you see that little tiny dot right there? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, that could be, you know, it could be scar tissue from, I had a central line. So there was some scar tissue going on up here. Said it could be scar tissue, but we don't know. And it's super small. I just wanted you, all I wanted you to see was how small this little dot is. It's so small, you can barely see it. Um, but I think we're going to need to do some, like a biopsy and see what this is. And so then, of course, we met the doctor after the scans. And he was like, I showed her on the scan, the little dot. Um, super small. We're going to do a biopsy. Did a biopsy. They called um, on Thanksgiving Day, 2008. So this was a little over two years later after my first diagnosis, and they said, it's, it's back, um, it's in her long, right lung, so we're going to go ahead, start back up with treatment. Um, this time they said they were going to do outpatient. They switched a lot of things around for me to make me way more comfortable. They um, had me do outpatient, and so I would go for five days. I'd go Monday, I think it was Monday through Friday, um, would do outpatient. I'd be there from like 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. about, um, and they would mix my chemo. So the one that made me sick and the one that made me not sick, yeah. they mixed them together so that I wouldn't get sick anymore. Cause they were like, we know that this, you know, she had bad effects with the first time yeah. around and we want to fix that and whatever. So I'd go for a week, two weeks off, go for a week, two weeks off. Did that for another year. Also had radiation done on my lungs, um, which ended up not being great for me. <laughs> um, but they did regular radiation, which is where they radiate the entire lung. Um, and I had about 10 rounds of that, I think. And then I also had 13 rounds of proton beam radiation, which yeah. is where they really narrow in just on where the tumor spot is. And again, fortunately, there was a proton beam radiation center in Bloomington. Right. So I would go, my mom and I would drive down to Bloomington um, every day and I'd get my proton beam radiation done there. Um, had my lungs collapse at one point, which was really scary. I was um, rushed to the ER one night. I had to stay in the ICU for a couple days. My lungs just like completely shriveled up. Uh -huh. um, so I still have a lot of breathing problems because of that. Um, but yeah, they f I finished all my treatments, I think around 
October, maybe I could be saying this so wrong. Of oh eight. Um, of oh nine. Oh nine. Okay. Yeah. So I was re- I was diagnosed in November of oh eight, right. yeah. and yeah. then finished about a year later, and I've been cancer free ever since. So I think all was the that radiation, the proton beam uh, therapy, was that part of the original plan, or was that to, to start some point after the chemo had already started? That is a good question. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I had already been doing chemo for a little while before okay. we started radiation. And then yeah. I think I might have done a couple rounds of chemo after the radiation therapy was done. Yeah. I, from my experience as well, I, I remember them because my tumor was in my chest and they, mm-hmm. they didn't want to have to do radiation if they, if they could avoid it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I was just curious because, you know, the, the potential side effects and, and long-term effects of yeah, that's it's definitely it's definitely not good. Yeah. It's definitely not great. Um, long term, I have a lot of you know organ. I have to go back still every year and get um, echocardiograms and get my lungs checked out and get everything. You know, make sure everything's still out. working. Yeah, because right, yeah. <laughs> um, it definitely can have a lot of bad side effects. But I think Ewing sarcoma is known to come back a lot of times, and they wanted to make sure they nipped it in the butt when they had it. Since yeah. it was so small and it's very it can be very aggressive and it can spread pretty quickly um, all around the body. And so I think they were just, they needed to make sure. Overly cautious. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So that's November of 09. Um, how often were you going back to for checkups? I, it was kind of a gradual, they like gradually took me out. So it was, it would be every three months for a year, every five months for a year, every six months or no, it was three, four, five, six. Okay. And then now it's every year. Okay. So every year it went up another month where I would have to go back less and less. Right. And now when you hit that five year mark, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's a little bit different. Did they, they, they say, say you're cured mm-hmm. and did they give you that option to say, Hey, we still want to see you every year or you can, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to at that point. Um, we, I don't, they didn't really give me the option okay. <laughs> um, with everything. <laughs> I mean, with everything. Um, they still see me every year. And I, like I said, they have to check my heart and they have to check my lungs and do all sorts of, I have like fertility issues. So they have to check my hormones every time I go back. Um, and so they have to keep, keep that up. But they did say at five years, they were like, now you're officially, you're in remission technically, I think until five years and then cancer free. So like, you know, you're all good now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I think I probably would. I mean, Based on what you just said, I, w- I would probably agree with the one with the annual. Yeah. Checking with that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely sense. some things they want to keep an eye on. Right. That's for sure. We've got a few picks from the uh, the early years. I want to oh, throw yes. up that you were kind enough to share with us. Um, the yeah. First one was, that's diagnosis. That was, that was the day. That was uh, July 19th. I mean, you look super excited. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that picture, I remember my mom took that picture because it was my, it's my uncle's birthday. It was also the day I was okay. diagnosed, which is my mom's brother. And she would always be like, oh, Uncle Greg, he's such a weenie. He would never, he would never get an IV in his arm. You look so strong compared <laughs> to him. He's going to be like, he's whatever. He's going to think you're so brave and it's his birthday. So <laughs> let's take this picture. So well, I poor, do concur. My poor Uncle, Uncle Greg. Greg your uncle Greg is a weenie. Just yeah. the record state. Her uncle Greg is a fraternity brother of mine. Yep. Okay, yep, that's yep. the reason why I say that. First but yeah, so it was on. It was on Greg's birthday that this, that this picture was taken. Way to go, Greg! Yeah, thanks, Uncle Greg. <laughs> we like to remind him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go ahead and flip to uh, photo two there. Yeah. So what's? Yeah. So that after? was outpatient. So this was the second time. This is when it was okay. in my lung. Um, I just remember that because. I had to sit in a chair when it was an outpatient, when it was an outpatient photo. Um, 
so yeah, I was sitting, getting chemo. I would play with a bunch of toys. We always had a bag of stuff. We were were you in a, a, like a larger room with other patients? So yes. Okay. And well, the old hospital before they built the Simon family tower, which right. is incredible, by the way, yeah. I've gone back and visited uh, numerous times and I'm very jealous uh, <laughs> that it looks like that because when I was in treatment, this in particular was outpatient. And so I sat in one of those chairs essentially, and there was curtains around me. Mm. And then behind the curtain was another patient getting chemo. And okay. it was just a big room that was like the whole perimeter of the room was just chairs and curtains. Yeah. And then the nursing station was in the middle. So we could see all the nurses okay. and they would come in and out. And there was a little TV behind every curtain, but it was literally, we were just divided by curtains. Right, yeah. Sheet in um, between everybody. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. And yeah. then um, for inpatient, it was, there were some rooms where it was two patients in a room. So it was a very small room. I would say not much bigger than the room we're in now. And it was two beds, curtain in between. And yeah. it didn't matter what they were doing. They were giving you chemo. I mean, it was the oncology floor. So, of right. course, we were all getting chemo. But it was, we definitely knew what was going on right yeah. next door when the doctor would come in yeah. and talk to each patient. There was not a lot of privacy. My glamorous, like, community room, as I call it, was fairly early in the treatment and one of the drugs, I don't know if it's the same one, but you just could tell like every time yep. they administered it, it was like, well, that didn't go down real well. <laughs> and no, I don't know, it's his fourth treatment out of 15 or whatever it was. Um, nurse had done it and I was like, yeah, you may want to get a bucket. Mm -hmm. And no sooner did she go to, to do, to get that. And I just like all over myself, mm -hmm. I just kind of look up and there's, you know, a dozen people right. all around. Looking. No, no curtains. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, Sweet. <laughs> yeah, that was also the best when you were like nauseous and not feeling very well, and you could hear the person directly next oh, to you. Oh, you're like fighting it back. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh great, yeah. great. I hear them doing it. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. I should go for it. Right. Smells were also a huge. Uh, I yeah. oh my, I could not smell certain things without vomiting or wanting to vomit, and yeah. it was you know, and then the person next to you is like, I really want McDonald's for lunch today, and their parents would go get them McDonald's, and then you're sitting there. Like really holding it back because you, <laughs> you, that smell. You don't want to ruin their McDonald's, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if I walk, when I walk into a hospital now, regardless of which one, they all kind of have that sanitized mm -hmm. smell yep, to them. Yep, yep. That, it the doesn't hand sanitizer. make me get nauseous, but it's it it stirs something. Yeah. yeah, the hand sanitizer they put on before they come in the rooms yeah. that still okay. gets me haunts you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that and tequila. That's yeah. a different story. <laughs> different story. <laughs> so uh, flip to the next. If you would, Chris. Yeah. So this is a, this is a picture that never gets old. Oh, uh, yes. seeing, seeing folks ring the bell. How'd yes. you feel? I mean, state well, the obvious, but. Obviously great. But um, we also joke that this is, I mean, not a great joke to make, but we do make the joke that I never rang the bell the first time. Um, I don't remember why. I don't remember if we just got caught up in something or if I got like an award. They give you a certificate that says, you know last chemo treatment, yeah. whatever. But um, I never officially rung the bell. So we were like, we would joke with my nurses and be like, it's your fault that it came <laughs> back a second time because you didn't let me ring the bell. They're you like, were like, great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did get to ring the bell the second time, which was great. Took pictures with all my nurses, had my little medal on, yeah. got my award, hung it in my room. <laughs> was very excited about that. I like, I like the hairstyle too, just saying. Yeah, right? Life was a lot easier you, without you hair. Go back. I, yeah. I think about, about it. it. Yeah. I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing wigs. That was the other thing. I was obsessed with Hannah Montana. I was, you know, 
six, eight-year-old mm-hmm. girl. Yeah. Um, loved Hannah Montana, but loved that she could change her identity with a wig. Right. Thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so I had wigs of various hair colors <laughs> that I would change out and be different people. Now yeah, I think today I could do wigs. that. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That'd be a sight. That would look creepy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to make it happen. Yeah. Okay. One day you'll just walk in here and there'll be just like four wigs like set up on the table and we'll you just have, have you try them on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Change your identity with the <laughs> wig. This is hit a different level. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So great day ringing the bell second time through. Um, take us, take us through the, through the next, you know, a couple months or the next year or so after that, when, when things started to happen in terms of, all right, you know, I want to do something about this. What, what triggered everything and what was that process? Yeah. Um, well, I actually started, um, my organization, I'm assuming that's what we're referring to. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, I started that before I was diagnosed the second time. Okay. So it was actually during the first time that all the ideas kind of started to stir. Um, but when I was first diagnosed, I received a lot of gifts. Um, I think when, especially kids, are first diagnosed, you know, we get cookies sent to our house and we got various gifts in little gift baskets and family friends would drop stuff off. Or if mm-hmm. I would have a surgery, they would come and bring stuff, um, <clears throat> which we were always so grateful for. And I was so appreciative and loved everything I received and um, was just so grateful for that outpouring of support that we got after my first diagnosis. But, um, I remember one night receiving this huge box in the mail and I opened it and there was this big purple backpack with stuff falling out the top, falling out the sides. And I opened it and I was taken aback by everything inside. There was craft kits that I played with and did for so long. I had a pink Game Boy. That was the big big gift in the backpack um, that I brought every single time I went, played all the different Game Boy games. And it was pink, so that was really cool. Um, And just so much stuff. There were even a couple gifts from my little brothers um, who were very young at the time. And we were so grateful and found out that it came from like a friend of a friend. My dad's, I think, if I'm getting this connection correct, it was my dad's friend from high school next door neighbor in Colorado uh, started this thing called the Gabby Krauss Foundation where they would give out backpacks to kids diagnosed with cancer in Colorado and it was in memory of Gabby Krauss who passed away at the age of five I'm pretty sure from cancer and her mom started this organization in her name and Gabby would bring a backpack every time she would go into treatment with all of her favorite things in it for her to do while she was there. And so her mom started giving out these backpacks and had heard about me and my story and my family and graciously sent me a backpack in the mail. And I loved it. Took it every single time I went into treatment, used every single thing that was in the bag. And when we were in the hospital, we noticed a need. And, you know, around Christmas time, they come around and they bring you gifts around Christmas. And I remember the 4th of July, they brought some 4th of July gifts around and you know, it's always like around big holidays that they would bring out gifts yeah. to the oncology patients. And there were a lot of kids who were not there during those times. So, yeah. I mean, those kids didn't get gifts and they didn't get whatever was handed out during that time. And um, we would notice a lot of kids that were there completely by themselves alone. You know, every family situation is different. They had uh siblings at home that need to be taken care of. They had parents that had to work two jobs in order to pay their medical bills. 
they had, you know, all sorts of, they lived four hours away, five hours away, and their parents couldn't commute every time that they had to get treatment done. And there were kids that were in there for weeks at a time, completely alone at the age of five, at the age of six. And I would often share my things with them. I, this pink Game Boy that I was very proud of. Um, I remember vividly this little boy I think he was eight at the time and I was six and he was in the room next door and I remember one of my nurses came in and she was running behind and she was like oh I'm so sorry you know I'm trying to entertain this little boy I feel so bad he's been here so long and he's all by himself and he's so bored with at the time I mean they have definitely upgraded the hospital rooms now (laughs) but at the time it was literally you and a tv that got a couple channels that were on cable or whatnot and she was like, he's been here for so long. He has literally nothing in his room. And I was like, here, take my Game Boy. I have some I have some boy games. I was like, here's some <laughs> Mario games and Froggy or whatever it was called. And I was like, he'll play with this for a little bit. And he wrote me this long thank you note saying, you know, and I never met him, but he was in the room next door. And he wrote a thank you note just saying that, like, you know, thank you for letting me use your Game Boy. I really appreciated it, whatever. And it was kind of around then that we thought of the idea of giving out backpacks of our own to patients because my family and I were obviously very gracious for the hospital, for everything, for obviously saving my life and for everything they did. And um, we saw this need of so many kids that were needing something to do, something that they could do while they were in a hospital bed Mm -hmm. for long periods of time. And so we started doing Tatum's Bags of Fun is what it was called at the time. And we started in August of 2008 is when we gave out our first bag, August 1st. And we would, you know, the Gabby Krause Foundation sent us backpacks at first because they were sponsored by a backpack company at the time. And they would send us backpacks and we would go and fill them up. And we just started handing them out. And we had um, family friends that were donating to us and we had you know, some good community support. It took a minute to get us on our feet, but we started doing it and we started just doing it at Riley. And then once we were able to, we expanded to Peyton Manning. And now every child that's diagnosed with cancer in Indiana has to filter through one of those main hospitals in Indianapolis in order to specifically like receive their treatment or whatever. They have to filter through, I guess, to like check to make sure they're getting the right treatment at other various hospitals across the state. And so we know that we're hitting all the kids that are being diagnosed um, as they filter through. And so we would get a list from the nurses at the hospitals with the age and gender of every child that was diagnosed within that month. And we would go get all the stuff, fill up the backpacks and deliver them. Um, and we've been doing that, yeah, since August 2008. So, wow. yeah. yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. How, do you know how many backpacks to date you guys have delivered? I think about f- a little over 4,000 now. Wow. So a lot. We normally, we average 350 every year, which is really sad, (laughs) (laughs) meaning that 300, about 350 kids in just the state of Indiana alone are diagnosed every year is um, heartbreaking, but that's why we do it. (laughs) Yeah. And we recently, continuing that on, um, in 2017, we rebranded as the Tatum Parker Project, which is what we are now, and we have... Yes, there's the logo. I like the logo. It looks good. Thank mm-hmm. you. We, um, My dad was like, you know, you're older now. <laughs> this was 2017, so I just turned 17. And my dad was like, you know, we need to, we need to upgrade. We not only need to, like, have something that's a little more mature because we're going to keep doing this as I went into college, which we have. Um, 
but we wanted to add some more little things onto it. And so now we obviously raise money for pediatric cancer research in particular um, because pediatric cancer research only receives, I think it's 4% of Something all like that, federal yeah. um, money that's like given to cancer research. Only 4% goes to pediatrics. And so obviously we believe that that's really low of a number for children, especially when they're the future. And so we um, raise money and raise awareness for pediatric cancer research as well. Awesome. Yeah, that, awesome. that's that's a good call because you're, you're right. I think I think it's 4%. Or it's, it, mm-hmm. it's in that neighborhood. It's shockingly low. Crazy yeah, low. Shockingly yeah. low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what I don't know, there, there are occasional research projects that are kind of, um, you know, not specific to adult or pediatric that kind of crosses both spectrums. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to know how, what do they designate it? Do they designate that as non-pediatric or mm-hmm. not? Yeah. I would venture to guess. Um, so it may skew the numbers a little bit, but it, regardless, either way, it's still, it's sub 10%, which yeah. is too low. Too low. So when, what year was the very first bag delivered? Do you recall? 2008. 2008, that's right. So it was August 1st, 2008 is when we delivered our first bag and we delivered it to a girl who, um, I had actually been in treatment with, <laughs> okay. um, and she had been re-diagnosed as well. And so we gave her the first bag. I remember it. Um, I think, yeah, I think we have a picture. There it is. Yeah, yeah, that's the first bag. It's Cheyenne. Yeah. So there's, and then behind is the curtain. So there's, you know, there's her (laughs) side and then right behind the curtain was another patient, but that was the first bag we delivered. Now, have you stayed in touch with her by chance? I have not stayed in touch. I don't know exactly. I, my parents have, I know for a fact my mom has, um, Caring Bridge. Did you have, have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. That is still... My mom still keeps up with people. On okay. Okay. Stuff, so cool. Um, yeah. So I what, know my mom's. What was it like, you know, handing out that first bag? It was a great, great feeling, and we honestly, we kind of sometimes call it a blessing in disguise that I was diagnosed the second time because it was just a couple months after this that I was re-diagnosed, and I was obviously able to go into the hospital. I was there all the time, mm-hmm. and I was able to deliver a lot of bags in person, which I'm not really able to do as much anymore but I was able to meet a lot of the patients that I was giving the bags to and meet them face to face and watching them open bags and watching their face light up and watching them get excited about something um, was such a good feeling and I was able to see the impact that I was making and I would go in for my treatments and I would see kids carrying their backpacks or I'd see them on the back of wheelchairs and know that like they've received a bag and they're using it and they bring it to treatment every time and um I, we got a lot of, you know, generous thank you notes and a lot of kids would come up to me in the hospital and thank me personally and their parents would say, you know, it's the first time I've seen them smile in a very long time and it's the first time that they've gotten excited about something in a very long time. And um, I think not only giving them the bags and the kids would obviously be very excited about what was inside the bags and they would be, every backpack comes with an electronic of some sort. It used to be uh, DS is okay, and then it was iPod touches and that stuff, and now it's Kindles because everything else has gone through the roof price wise. <laughs> um, but Kindles can also be used as a form of iPad, and so kids get really excited about those. Um, so obviously, they were very excited about the contents of the bags, but I think the families and the parents were also very excited to see me, somebody who has gone through what their child's going through and has come out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time was in treatment with them and they could see that 
I was doing well and powering through. And I think that was inspiring for a lot of the families as well. So it was kind of a good message to give to patients and their families. Yeah, that's good. So um, you're a North Central Panther, right? I am. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When when you went into high school um, or or really even even the latter part of elementary school, um, you're, you're, you're post second time through this. Do you feel like kids treated you any differently at all if they knew your story? Not, no, no. In an elementary school, so the first time I had cancer, I was supposed to be in kindergarten. I actually never went. Um, I was put in a class. They kept me in the class, but I obviously never went to school. I went on Valentine's Day was the one day I went because I wanted candy. (laughs) Um, It's an important day. Oh, yeah, very important day. But they, you know, were so good about you know, explaining to the students what was going on with me. And I went to first grade, went to all of first grade. And then second grade, it was, we did, you know, quarters kind of. I just remember it being after, right after the first quarter of second grade is when I was diagnosed the second time. Um, But I remember in first grade, my first one, I was bald, completely bald. And I cried on the first day because I didn't want to go without a wig. And my parents were like, nope, you're going without a wig just for the first day at least. I remember I wore a skirt specifically so people would know I was a girl because at that age, (laughs) a lot of people were very confused as to why I didn't have hair. And that was always a question of like, are you a girl or a boy? Like that kind of situation, that would always upset me. Um, But my elementary school let me and my best friend, Michael, who has been my best friend forever, um, they let him give me a tour of the school because I'd never been to my elementary school before and he went to kindergarten there so he knew the school (laughs) they let him give me a tour of the school before I went and he was in my I think they specifically put him in my first grade class on purpose um and they had I had a pen pal in for in kindergarten because I never went to school and so they had they had set up a pen pal situation and they put her also in my first grade class so I knew someone going into it um and my teacher explained everything to all the students. And from then on, they treated me no different than anyone else. They let, you know, I played with everyone at recess, made friends with everyone, going through middle school, going through high school, nobody ever treated me different. Everyone just treated me like every other student that was there. If anything, they treated me better. They always had questions. They always wanted to know how I was doing. And if I ever had appointments or something, if I wasn't in school, they'd be like, where were you? Were you at a doctor's appointment? How'd it go? How's, yeah. How's everything going? Everyone was always so gracious and so nice to me, and I never really felt like an outsider, which was right. great. Good. good. Yeah. Did, um, did Riley ever have you talk to other kids who recently diagnosed, whether it would be with a different form of cancer or something that you know matched up with your diagnosis? Would you ever speak to them um, shortly after their diagnosis to kind of answer questions or be a sounding board for things. Riley didn't necessarily do that, but I know that I had talked to a couple patients through my mom or my dad who had maybe known somebody um, who had been recently diagnosed or they would have family members reach out saying, you know, so-and-so has been diagnosed. I talked to people who went, who lived in other states who Mm -hmm. were maybe nervous about things um, and they would connect me with them. I would text back and forth with um, other patients basically through my parents. I met a lot of patients, you know, in the hospital going through treatment at the same time, and I would talk to them, and we would compare stories, compare situations, and kind of help each other out through that. But, yeah. yeah. You keep in contact with any of them still today? 
Not really. Again, like I'm friends with a lot of them on Facebook. And so I keep up with them that way and see how they're doing and see how they've made it so far. Right. So, yeah. See, another benefit of the Facebook. Yeah. I, yeah. Get such a it's bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were now gotten through North Central. Um, saw your parents would post a lot. So I kind of was able to keep up a little <laughs> bit with what was going on there. Um, what, you know, your parents are both IU grads. Yes. Right. Um, they're way older than they've already gone out of IU before I got there. Uh, <laughs> but what's, uh, so what, did you feel like you were always going to IU or what, what helped prompt that decision? Yes and no. Um, I looked outside, obviously I, I looked at schools kind of all over the place, but IU always had everything I wanted. I knew I wanted to go to a big school cause okay. growing up, obviously went through public schools, very large public schools. And I'm a big fan of, um, large public schools and I always had such a great time and I was like I know I want to go to a big school and I you know big 10 schools are always you know good time fun times and I knew I wanted something along those lines I knew I I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do I was very undecided about what I wanted to do what I wanted my major to be and so I needed somewhere where I could try out different things and figure things out I didn't want to go too far I applied to some schools in California um, got into Pepperdine, was kind of excited about that, but also was like, it's really far and I would only be able to come home probably once a year and what's that going to look like? And I had a lot of friends going to IU and I was just like, you know what, this, it has everything I want, everything I need. I'm just going to go to IU and easily the best decision I could have made. I've been nothing but happy the whole time I've been there and I am, I am loving it. So what are we studying? Elementary education. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes. I have changed my major. I think I was nursing major first semester of freshman year. Switched out of that. Did recreational therapy for a semester um, because I was thinking about doing occupational therapy or recreational therapy, both, you know, working with kids, obviously, in the therapy area. And then I switched to exercise science for my okay. first semester of sophomore year and that I did that because I had more options. I could have done occupational therapy, physical therapy, PA school, various things with exercise or kinesiology, exercise science. Yeah. Um, hated it. Cried all the time. <laughs> hated my classes. And I think a large part of that was COVID and having all of my classes be online. And we'll just blame it on COVID. Yeah. We'll blame it on COVID. Yeah, yeah. We'll blame yeah. it on COVID, not the science factor. But I just realized I didn't like <laughs> science and math as much as I thought I did. I thought I was in big science math brain girl was not. And I just kept looking at the classes I was going to need to take moving forward. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Um, I was like, if I hate it now, I'm going to hate it way more next yeah. semester. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to my friends and I was like, I want to work with kids. I want to work with kids. It's all I've ever said. Everything in the back of my mind has been like, oh, like I'll be a nurse, but for pediatric oncology. Oh, I'll be an occupational therapist, but only for pediatrics. Like all I wanted to do with, was work with kids. And I was like, I think I just, I think I really want to be a teacher. It's always been something in the back of my mind. I've always kind of said I wanted to be a teacher. I told my mom, I remember telling her going into college as a freshman, I was like, oh, I wish I could just do elementary education. And she was like, well, yeah, like you could, you could do that. You won't make a lot of money, you know, but you know, you could definitely do that. And I was like, oh, I just wish that, I wish I could just do it. I wish I could just do elementary education, but you know, nursing is fine or, 
recreational therapy is fine. You know, like it was always like, "Eh, well, whatever, I'll do this. But I was like, no, I need to do it. I need to switch. I'm so unhappy. Called my parents and I was like, look, so sorry. I'm (laughs) switching to elementary education. And I have been so happy this semester. Loving all of my classes. So excited about it. I talk about it all the time with my friends. I'm like, I'm just so excited to be a teacher. So excited. And I want to like be able to make an impact. I was also wanted to help people was my other big thing. I want to work with kids and I want to help people. And as long as I'm doing both of those, both of those things, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. And so it doesn't matter what it is, as long as I'm doing those two things. And I feel like this is a good, good chance to do both those things and hopefully make a good impact on a lot of kids moving forward. Yeah. If you're passionate about it, that should typically trump everything else. Yeah. That's how I feel. So I'm really excited. How, I think I know the answer to this because we've certainly been through it, but how would you describe trying to run a philanthropic organization through a pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. (laughs) Um, First, huge, giving all of the credit to my parents, all of it, just like throw it on them. Um, They are the reason that we're still doing what we're doing. They have obviously done the majority of the work, especially since I've been at school. They have taken over almost entirely. And so I'm extremely grateful for both of them for everything that they do and for all of the help um, and all of the work they put into it. It's like they're both working two jobs and this is their second one. So it's pretty incredible to watch them, you know, take over and definitely doing it for me. So that's awesome. Um, But... It was hard. Obviously, we had to cancel our big. We have a big event every year, the White and Gold Party, and that was canceled because of COVID, of course. And so that is where we get all of our money. All of our funding for the year basically comes from that one event. Yeah. Um, so that was really, really hard. And we're slowly running out of funds here. So we're very fortunate that we have one coming up because we're kind of at the end of what we have had saved. Yeah. Um, what is the date this year? Go ahead and plug that. August 13th. Okay. At the Vogue. Dad, don't come out of me if I'm getting that wrong, but I think it's August 13th <laughs> at the Vogue. At the yes. Vogue. In Broderpool. We just had this discussion before I left. He was like, do not get this wrong. <laughs> um, yes. August 13th at the Vogue. 16 Candles is performing. It'll be nice. so fun. Cool. Um, 21 and up open bar. Obviously. I will almost be 21 at that point, but I do go every year regardless. Um, but yeah, so that is our big fundraiser. Nice. So we're very happy that we get to have it this year. Confirmed we're getting to have it. Tickets go on sale soon. Um, but yeah, so we couldn't have our event. We were lucky enough to have sponsors still willing to donate and still sponsor us for the year. And we had a lot of great support from family and friends and yeah. people willing to still help us get through but it was definitely difficult I have not been able to go back to the hospital we still can't go back to the hospital we have to drop everything off my mom and I just went the other day and we had a trunk full of backpacks and yeah I think we've got a pick of yeah so that was the last that was over winter break um my freshman year over (laughs) winter break and that was right inside the front lobby at Riley Sorry. (laughs) That was in the front lobby at Riley and we dropped off backpacks, brought them upstairs. And that is the last time I have gone inside. Well, actually that is a lie. I went for an appointment, but didn't Uh, drop off backs. Right. (laughs) Um, I've had a couple appointments since then that I've gone back for, but that was last time we dropped off bags. And now we go and a doctor or a nurse comes out and she piles them into this big cart and 
she takes, takes them, them in again. for us. Takes them so. behind the doors. Yeah. And takes them behind the doors. And we don't see them again. It's so. a little anticlimactic. I mean, it, it, you still have to do, not have to do it, but you still want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But it just doesn't have kind of the same feeling yeah. about it. But then you see the picture that they send you some pics. Yes. And I just, like, we just a couple of days ago got a thank you note in the mail, and it was the cutest thing ever. And it was from a mom, and she was like, I just wanted to say thank you yeah. on behalf of me and my son for your gift. And, like, we still get so many thank you notes, so many Facebook mes- messages, and stuff and that definitely Those keeps us never going. get old never get never. old. that is what keeps us going that's for sure <laughs> yeah i hear that um so how you said you had a recent checkup yeah all good all good i have um this weird like lump in my throat okay. um that has been there for a very long time but we've done numerous tests on it and they're they're like we're, it's nothing we don't know what what's going on <laughs> so my lymph it's node is just like my lymph node is swollen and it won't go away and they were like it's not they did all these blood tests they've done all these scans on it like it's nothing so okay, well, other than that yeah. i'm doing good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i good. did i forgot to mention i had yeah. my hip replaced um my freshman year of high school and okay. that was a side effect of or a proponent of the femur replacement okay um cut not off a lot much of scootering not too much scootering <laughs> thank okay. goodness the okay. razor scooter yeah. has been retired since okay. the incident <laughs> um but I, it cut off a lot of blood flow to my hip. And so my mm. hip joint essentially deteriorated completely. Um, and I was having a lot of hip pain. I was like, this is weird. And I went and they scanned it and they were like, you're still walking. It's amazing. Cause you shouldn't be cause <laughs> your hip is practically gone. And they did a hip replacement my freshman year. So I still go back to get that checked out every year as well. So now it's kind of like a double, double appointment yeah, where they, right. they check, check everything. everything. Basically check all my hardware and make sure yeah. my <laughs> robotic leg is still yet? working. Like an iPhone, like do you get an update every now and then? <laughs> you would think. Yeah. I well, I do have to get my hip replaced now every like fifteen years or so, but okay. get a lot of wear and tear on there now that yeah. I'm such a young person with a hip replacement. They're right. like a lot of times, you know, you're plus sixty and you know, it's twenty years later and oh, you probably need another one. They're like, But you're gonna you're gonna need one here pretty soon, <laughs> probably. Cause um, I'm still running around. But yeah, other than that, all good. Haven't had really any issues since i finished chemo other than the hip so well hopefully it stays that way exactly so let's um if you would if you were to talk to a a child today that that's recently diagnosed what would you tell them i mean what what are some words of wisdom having you know been through what you've been through what would you share with those folks today yeah um i think that seeing the bright side of things is kind of a way that i've lived my life since everything happened um I do my best on a daily basis to see the good and everything and to see the good and um everything that life throws at you and I think especially recently with the pandemic and everything my whole outlook was just to try to stay positive through everything and Mm -hmm. look on the bright side and I think that that mindset is essential for getting through anything and so especially for young kids I think young kids have this crazy way of just being able to like see the good so much easier than adults can I think and it's awesome and I think that just being able to maintain that mindset is so important and being happy and staying positive and my mom used to tell me I remember so vividly before we would go into scans she would tell me to like close my eyes and picture my tumor getting smaller and then I'd go in my scans and they'd be like oh it looks like it's going down and so it was all this like positive mindset yeah. And I just think that smiling your way through it and staying positive is a great 
cure (laughs) and can help you so much more getting through it. And it's way easier to get through it. Yep. Smiling. Attitude. Yep. Keeps coming back. It's the attitude. It's It's underlying theme. Every single episode. Totally the attitude and the mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to, so on the quote unquote business side of things, um, what is, what is your vision for the Tatum Parker project in the, in the years ahead? I think just keep doing what we're doing and keeping it up. I think we've always said we wanted to expand it. I don't know what that would look like. Um, We've given bags to kids in other states. They've started a Bags of Fun actually in, where did they just start one? They've started them in other states from bags that we've given, um, which is awesome. So they're helping us expand this across the country, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, essentially what our main goal was. But I think continuing to do what we're doing, giving it to kids in Indiana, giving it to all the kids that are diagnosed and just continuing to raise money and research uh, or money and awareness for pediatric cancer research is something that's extremely important to me and something that we would just like to continue doing. And we want to keep doing it until hopefully we don't need to do it anymore. That's also something we've always said until hopefully there's a day where we don't need to do it anymore and it can be a thing of the past. We're going to keep trucking. Moving along. Yep. Well, cool. Well, good on you. Good on your parents. We got yes, a family very good on photo my here as well. <laughs> I don't want to give your dad too much credit, but <laughs> they are wearing the all IU gear there. Oh um, yeah. I know, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing on on a lot of levels, but super excited and happy that you guys have continued to keep doing this and, and, and still want to until yeah. like you said, hopefully we don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Until then we until press then on. We press on. Yeah. Absolutely. Very grateful for my family. They've done everything and more for me. They're definitely the reason I am where I am today. So I'm very grateful for my parents, my grandparents too. Yeah. I've, I don't know what I would have done without my grandparents as well. My brothers are awesome. Very supportive. Truett, the one in the jersey is now way taller than me. So <laughs> if he sees this, he would not like that picture because he oh. has, he has grown a lot more for in the past year. So. <laughs> Well, we'll uh, we'll just remember him as the shorter one yeah. here. Yeah, in yeah. true. You hear stripes that? And, <laughs> and Tynan, <laughs> Tynan, the one next to me, he's going to be joining me at IU next year. Is so that's he? really awesome. exciting. Nice. Yeah, nice. Perfect. Super excited for him. Cool. Well, um, thanks again for yeah. coming Absolutely. in. And Thank you so much for having me. Sharing yeah, your story. It's been fun. Yes. Always love an opportunity to share my story. To well, share. We appreciate no. that. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing. This yeah. podcast is awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we're trying. Yeah, we're doing our best. You're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, Tatum Parker, thanks. Uh, Thank check you. out the White and Gold Party, August 13th yes. at the Vogue. Be there. I've been to a couple of those. It's a good time. Good time. Yeah. It's not right. It's 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 not quite your 21st birthday, but it was close. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.